partner. How are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm good. So we haven't done movie connections for a while, have we? No. So this actually is yet to go on the Facebook post. But anyway, can you give the connection between Pretty Woman ah. and Die Hard 2? I'm putting you right on the spot, aren't I? <laughs> you are putting me right on the spot. So we've got Bruce Willis, we've got um, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Oh, that's a toughie. Must be a link between Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis, surely. You think? Must be. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Go on then. But the only reason I know what it is is because this has actually come from someone else. I suddenly remember now. And not surprisingly, this is your it husband, my husband. Of course, Chris. <laughs> and I think it was the the latest version or some years ago now, but the late the, the kind of reboot of the film Day of the Jackal. That's right. And I can't remember who was in that. <laughs> which was which was which was Bruce Willis and Richard Gere. And I remember my husband now telling me and I forgot straight afterwards and he will have a go at me if he hears this because he knows you never listen to me <laughs> he's very hot on this uh this movie he is he's, he's, he's he likes it he's waiting for the next one but let's see if we get any others yeah that's that is your challenge listeners 1997 the jackal with bruce willis richard Gere, and sydney poitier so there you go it wasn't the day of the jackal it was it the was... jackal exactly yeah see what they yeah. see what they did there very clever so yeah challenges out there right let's crack on then so two films this week were the prestige and gladiator Mm -hmm. which one's coming first should we do the gladiator the gladiator or gladiator or gladiator cool edit that one out (laughs) i always get that wrong you're always is it do you call (laughs) you one of these people that calls facebook the facebook Yes, probably. <laughs> I don't mean I don't mean it like that, but there are some people that does surely makes you laugh as well. Like normally it's like elderly people who call Facebook the Facebook. It's very amusing. I'm not obviously being I'm ageist. Not, You're being I'm ageist. Not, I'm not putting you in that camp at all. It should be me anyway. Okay. Right. Right. Let's do it. Do, 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 this is your do, film, isn't it? Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Yes. I might have to edit that one out, Rob. Oh, crikey. <laughs> um, she might be right. That was awful. Right, okay. No. So here we go. So 2000, Gladiator. This was directed by Ridley Scott, and it was written by David Franzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson, starring Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nilsson, Oliver Reed, Richard Harris, and Derek Jacobi. So this was a largely fictional story, but it does have some roots in factual history. So we join the film as Roman general Maximus Decimus Meridius, played by Russell Crowe, leads his men into battle in Germania, watched over by an ailing Empress Caesar, played by Richard Harris. Upon victory, Caesar, who recognises he's about to pop his clogs, proposes his wish to Maximus that he succeeds him as the named Keeper of Rome and its empire. And so the rule would pass back to the people in the Senate. This means his 
power hungry son, Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who expects to be next in line, is passed over. So when he arrives after the battle is won and hears of this news from his father, he's absolutely devastated. And whilst nobody is around, he murders his father in order that rule is passed to him. Because at this point, Maximus hasn't decided. He wanted time to think about it. So in this short period of time, uh, this murder occurs. Maximus basically was unsure because he dreams of going back home. He really dreams after literally years of battle that he's kind of had enough. Uh, And that was his initial reaction when he was proposed to take on rule. Anyway, Maximus is obviously very suspicious and clocks on, knows exactly what Commodus has done. Commodus claims that Caesar's died in his sleep because obviously no one was there. And Commodus, of course, knows that Maximus knows. So to kind of clear his path to power, Commodus casts him out with some soldiers into the woods and orders his execution. Maximus escapes, heads back to his home in Spain, only to find that Commodus's men have already arrived and murdered them too. He's completely destroyed, he collapses, he's rounded up uh, and taken into slavery and trained as a gladiator by Proximo, played by Oliver Reed, and becomes solely driven to survive, only that he might someday take his revenge on Commodus and fulfil the dying wish of his emperor. So the time comes when Proximo's group of gladiators are called to Rome to participate in these marathon gladiator games held at the behest of the new emperor, um, which is basically Commodus's plan to try and get all of the people on side in Rome is to let's just distract them and just have a whole load of games. And once there, you know, Maximus wastes no time in making his presence known and, and is soon kind of embroiled in a plot to overthrow the emperor with his former love, Lucilla played by Connie Wilson, which is Commodus' sister, and also the widowed mother of Lucius, heir to the empire after his uncle, and Democrat Senator Gracchus, played by Derek Jacobi. So this made quite an impact. It was nominated for 12 Oscars, which I couldn't believe it was 12, and won five. Best Picture, Russell Crowe as Best Actor, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Effects. Lost out, Best Director Ridley Scott, lost out to Steven Soderbergh for Traffic, but obviously did incredibly well. There's many reasons I like this film, so I will pass over to you, Sarah, to get your thoughts. So I haven't seen this for a good 20 years and I'm asking myself, why did I not go back and left it this long? I think it's probably because of the length of the film. It's quite long. It's two hours, 35 minutes. But as like Westerns and other long movies, you can find a place to stop and then restart it again. So don't let that deter you at all from watching this film. Firstly, I want to talk about casting. There are some great actors in this film. There is the great Richard Harris, who has been in TV and films since 1958. And we last saw him in Harry Potter. He passed away in 2002. There's the great Oliver Reed. Last performing feature film was this one. Uh, He apparently died, I think, three weeks towards the end of the film shooting. And they wanted to keep him in the film and kind of rewrote the script a little bit and had somebody else covering him to do him in the backdrop for example. Uh, There's also the great Derek Jacobi, uh, who's been in many 
TV and films from The Crown to Last Tango more recently. And you've got Russell Crowe, who's, who's did quite a few films before this. I think this is him at his best. And then is Joaquin Phoenix, who played the son of Caesar. And really, he's quite a spoilt young man. And he was keen to be liked but very jealous over Maximus, who's played by Crow. Wanted revenge because his father couldn't see him being Caesar after he died, and he just wanted revenge against Maximus. And he was nominated for an Oscar for this role, but as he lost out, unfortunately, in in 2001. But Crow did take the Oscar, which was great. And as Rob already mentioned, had quite a lot of Oscars, five Oscars for this film. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Yuckin Phoenix back in the day when I watched him in Parenthood in 1984. And I was a kid at the time as well. And lots of teenage angst going on and it resonated with me really at the time. And he played opposite Keanu Reeves at the time. So I've always kind of liked Yuckin Phoenix. And he was Leaf Phoenix at the time, which was the name given to him as part of his Children of God missionary piece, which his family belonged to. And also used to do a lot of acting with River and Rain Phoenix as well. He's done Walk the Line. He's recently been in The Joker. And I I have actually put off watching that because I know it's quite a dark character again for him. And he, he always plays a troubled character. And he does it brilliantly in this film for Gladiator. It was a bit Game of Thronesy in places with his incestuous relationship with his older sister, Lucilla, played by Connie Nielsen. And obviously she didn't want to go down that path, but she was under Commodus's power in this film. And it was, it was, he was just unpleasant, really. And where he was shouting, am I not merciful? And screaming in her ears and, and then trying to woo her at the same time. It was just very wrong. And he just played it brilliantly. I think Christ's character, Maximus, he was very strong throughout and robbed being a leader at the start. He lost his job and nearly got killed. He lost his wife and son. I didn't, however, cry when he lost his son, which I may have done. I didn't, it, it, I didn't engage with his character really at the start, I would say. And so it didn't move me as much, but it was pretty brutal how his son died, you know, being run over by horses. And it just made me cringe and angry, to be honest, more than anything. It was quite gruesome, the whole, the whole film, really. And what I find incredible is that they actually used five tigers in the Tigris de Gaulle scene. And they had a vet at hand with a dart ready to, to shoot the tigers in case it got, you know, heated and, and for safety's sake as well. But throughout the whole film, he was really strong. Obviously, he had illnesses and he was a bit weaker then, but played a really strong character. I did wonder whether it was based on a true story, but you kind of dismissed that already. And actually, the writer, David Franzoni, who is a very well-traveled man, and whilst living in Baghdad, he bought a book called Those About to Die by Daniel P. Mannix, and this inspired him to create the script for Gladiator. Obviously, it's based on historic facts as well and imagery that he would have seen. So brilliant writing. I like the music. I felt it was on occasion similar, strangely, to The Notebook, and then on other occasions, Armageddon. It did win Oscars. The score and songs were composed by Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerrard. 
However, in 2006, a law firm representing Gustav Holst Foundation claimed that Zimmer had infringed copyrights from Gustav Holst's The Planets, the battle piece that was on that. And there was a bit of borrowing from Richard Wagner's uh, work too. So it's a little bit of a shame when you hear that afterwards when they've won an Oscar and stuff, but really strong score and also apparently largest grossing soundtrack of all time for a movie. Also, Pavarotti was supposed to have sung a song in this film as well, and he didn't. He didn't want to be part of this movie, but he did add it to one of his albums. And then Andrea Bocelli, during the 2009 UEFA Champions League final in Rome, performed this song, Il Gladiator. So I think there's a lot of credit to this film. Brilliant script writing, brilliant cinematography, great costume design, lighting, etc. And acting was great. And great to see some of those we shouldn't say old timers great to see some of the great actors in this film alongside new up-and-coming actors i guess as well so rob do you have any further thoughts yeah i for me the cinematography was just i just thought was beautifully done I like the quite kind of dark and messy and, and gritty feel to the battle scenes in Germania, which is what we open with. It's not typically maybe the kind of setting that you would associate yeah. with this type of story. And that took 20 days to film that scene. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the reason I like it, it, you know, the music, the music as well for that, it's so haunting. It's such a, an amazing, impactful way to introduce the score the the battle scenes where you get this kind of these blurred effects on the battle scenes which i thought was so so effective it's one of the first times i've seen that you know it was since used for the famous scene in um, saving private ryan but apparently one of the main reasons they used that was actually they were kind of forced into it because there was such a short period of time to get this huge sequence together they had to film late into the day and so the lighting was so dark they had to really shorten the frame rate which in turn allowed the shots to look lighter than they were but the adverse effect meant that you know you had frames missing because it's a short frame rate so you get this blurred effect but in actual fact I just thought it worked really well that particular part I think the way they introduced Russell Crowe and really Russell Crowe's performance in this I mean I suppose in some ways you know his character was quite straightforward I mean you could tell right from the very first shot you know you've got this very tough gritty war general about to go into battle you immediately establish okay this is this is who the guy is but there's this incredible stillness before the battle begins and there's this moment where he hears something it's a bird and he looks and it's like a, a robin or something and he, it gets his attention and it's almost like a little signpost that yeah this guy he's tough but he's also quite a decent grounded guy and that's really what it's all about he's links to his family and the importance of his family having been away for two years he's desperate to get back to his his son and his wife and that's his driving factor. And I think that helps invest you in him because obviously as a, as a war hero, you know, that's relatively two-dimensional and easy to do. The whole vengeful storyline works really well. He's in his element, Russell Crowe. I don't think I've seen him in a more commanding performance. Yeah, yeah. I um, agree with that. But also, Joaquin Phoenix, as you say, he was amazing in it. I mean, in some ways, the more I watch it, the more I think he he certainly comes close to stealing the show because he's such as you you know he's such a complex, messed up individual mentally. Mm-hmm. It's like he's suffocated with vanity and paranoia, and like you say, there's this incestuous theme with his sister. 
Yeah, I, I just thought he turned what could have been a relatively bland character into one that is really, really memorable. Yeah. And although he's a he is a nasty character, you kind of invest in, invest in him in so much as you almost feel sorry for him. It's almost like he doesn't know what to do. Yes, he's power hungry, but every time he needs to make a decision about something, he's asking his sister. Like he's totally out of his depth and floundering. And I think that part of it helps you to not just see him as an evil guy. And actually, sorry, going back to Joaquin Phoenix, you know, you talk about that that scene where he shouts right in his sister's face, am I not merciful? That apparently was improvised and she wasn't expecting that because he kind of grabs her face. That reaction was totally genuine. And I think throughout the entire thing, the music is beautiful. I love that the female vocal is I don't know, it's just, there's something Lisa about Gerard. it. Lisa Gerard. Yeah, and it's almost like Gladiator, it seemed to me, was almost the first of its kind with this kind of soundtrack. And I think we've seen it almost used again, this style. I can't quite describe it. It's very spiritual and haunting and kind of tender at the same time. It just works so, so well. I thought the way in which Ridley Scott not only did that initial scene, I thought the way he depicts Rome is beautiful. It I mean, there's fantastic. The, the, the scenes leading up to when they arrive in Rome, when, when the gladiators are fighting in slightly smaller settlements, I still thought all that looked beautiful. All, every single shot I thought just looked stunning. But, you know, again, the way he built the Colosseum, the Colosseum in this film is way, way bigger than it was in real life. And that was deliberate. It, he really wanted to go big on it. And the first two floors were physically built and all of the floors on top was CGI and digitally putting in the crowd. Apparently there's even like cardboard cutouts as well, which I thought was unbelievable. What else to say? It's hard not to talk about Oliver Reed because of course he did, like you say, passed away. There's always funny stories with Oliver Reed because, you know, he was renowned obviously for being a bit of a drunk. And initially, apparently when he was offered the role, he was asked to audition. He, he had such an ego and, you know, was not really known as an actor for this, for that particular period of time. Yeah, he was bigger, like maybe 10 years ago. He was persuaded to, to go and take that role. And he ended up going for the audition and taking it. Apparently, he had a clause in his contract to say that he was free from 5 p.m. every day and weekends off. I mean, it's quite sad, but apparently he was in a bar. This was in Malta, I think, where a lot of films filmed. And um, I think a military ship was happened to be in for that particular evening or those days. And all these sailors came into this bar and he chanted into like a drinking contest. And obviously things obviously right. got out of hand. And yeah, apparently he just collapsed on the floor and that, that's how he had his heart Gosh. Yeah. I was thinking, hello, sailor. Hello, sailor, I know. <laughs> that, I mean, the thing is, like that story just does sound almost yeah. too good to be true. So yeah. how exact it is, but Ridley Scott's backed that up. A bit like Elvis eating burgers on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like to say, like it is obviously fictional, but Marcus Aurelius, the name of Caesar, played by Richard Harris, he's a real life character. And Commodus was his son, took over because Marcus Aurelius died of the plague, natural facts. And so Commodus took the role as natural successor. And obviously there were lots of elements that, that were real as well. But um, obviously Maximus was a completely fictional character. It's just a right, rollicking, well-filled, beautifully scored film that is hard not to get caught up in. I know. So much detail gone into it as well with Rome and the Colosseum and 
you know, the fact that it had real tigers there, I was surprised by that. And the acting was brilliant from all actors and actresses. Um, for me, I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of ten. Oh, wow. How about that? The reason why I've docked it down, it is a little bit long. And there aren't any memorable quotes, really, from it. Um, Are you not entertained? Well, no, the thing is, I, I don't remember that. Whereas if you watch something like Braveheart, <laughs> it's like, freedom! And, you know, there's certain lines that you can remember from that. Actually, talking to Braveheart, Mel Gibson was also offered this lead role. Didn't accept it because he felt he was too old. But I can't see him being really that pumped up and being able to be a gladiator. I really couldn't see him doing that role anyway. Anyway, nine and a half out of ten. It's just really the length and some few things that I feel that they could have worked on with the um, memorable quotes. Okay. Is that being really hard? Is, is that being really hard? I think that is being really hard, yeah. Uh, I would say that there are... It's not, it's not my favourite film, but I, it's got a lot going for it. Let's just oh, say Oh, yeah. That. I mean, nine and a half, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm never good at remembering lines to quote in the first place, but I think that there's that bit where when he reveals himself as Maximus in the Colosseum and he says, father to a murdered son you know, whatever, to a murdered wife, there's that line. and But uh, there's a few, but uh, yeah, I suppose it's not, they're not hugely memorable. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I just wanted to add one other thing, because I thought it was really interesting that Joaquin Phoenix, apparently on set, was super stressed and nervous in this role and was basically going to Russell Crowe for help to try and calm his nerves. And Russell Crowe didn't know what to do. Went to Richard Harris. <laughs> That's the theme of drink. It's not surprising. You've got Richard Harris, who's also known to very much like his drink, Oliver Reed and Aussie Russell Crowe. It's not surprising. So Russell Crowe said to Richard Harris, what are we going to do with this kid? He's a, he's down a- at the pub. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, they said, let's just get him, let's get him drunk. That's exactly what they did. They just, you know, rifled through quite a few pints to, to settle his nerves. I mean, whether this stuff is true, is, I don't know. I'd like to think it's true. I love Whackin' Phoenix. Someone said to me the other day, is he ever in a film? Does he ever play a happy character in a film? So, you know, especially like you say with Joker, you'll never really hear all this mm-hmm. stuff recently. It's like, lighten up, dude. Like, just take a, do a comedy. I mean, I hadn't seen Inherent Vice. I, I think that might be slightly more... And then there was Her, actually. He did that film, Her. Uh, it was a bit weird in that but one. That wasn't, yeah, exactly. Again, that's, they're not conventional roles, shall we say. Mm. Anyway, so you're going to give it nine and a half. Um, wow. I wasn't expecting that. Mm, so what are you going to give it? <laughs> I'm almost... Uh, mm, okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm also going to give it nine and a half because... I love Ridley Scott. He's one of my favourite directors. So the entire thing looked beautiful. And yeah, I just thought it's just rip-roaringly good characters, as I say. Yeah, no, I, I think I'll have to go for not. I don't, to be honest, I don't know quite what stops it becoming a 10. There was there was actually a point in this. I, I did feel the same. It's quite long. But maybe because it's quite also relatively simplistic. I like films, I think, that challenge me in, in their concepts or how complex they are. So maybe it was just missing out there. Go on, give it a 10, Rob. Oh, you can't do that. You can. You can, can give it say, a 10 if you, you want can, it. You give it a 10. You I'm give not giving it a 10 because it's not my favourite. Well, it's not my favourite. So there, it's nine and a half. Staying at nine and a half. So next up is The Prestige. It does have a the in front of it this time. <laughs> 
And actually, this is one of my favourites as well. It's uh, released in 2006, directed by one of your favourite directors, Christopher Nolan, and screenplay by Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. I presume they are brothers, but they're not twins because Christopher was born in, in uh, 1970 and Jonathan in 1976. So I wondered whether there would be like a little brotherly twin thing going on with the film. Uh, directors as well anyway it's based on a novel by christopher priest starring christian bell hugh jackman scarlett johansson michael kane rebecca hall andy circus and david bowie which really surprised me to see him in this film because i kind of thought he hung up his acting shoes after labyrinth but he also did twin peaks i saw as well on imdb so he hasn't done many films so it's set in london in the 1800s and we have two magician apprentices at the start alfred borden played by christian bale and robert angiers played by hugh jackman under the management of cutter who is played by michael kane who basically hired them to be part of the theatre audience on magic shows and check the equipment was not tampered with and to tie knots for one particular act which was tying up a lady and hoisting her up in the air and then dropping her in a tank of water which she then needed to be able to get out and untie herself and pick the locks which she does on a few occasions until one day Bale's character ties a different knot which he was wanting to do for some time and it was at the discretion of the lady and unfortunately, the lady drowns during the act. The lady, however, was Angie's wife. And then this is where it gets nasty, obviously. And then the two become rivals and Angie's seeks revenge to play games. And they both sabotage each other's acts going forwards. And they're always watching what each other is performing and to learn how they do certain tricks. And they fought and fought and to be really the top magician in London and also wanted to be known for giving the ultimate illusion of all time. The film has many twists and turns. It's gripping and it's, I'm, I'm constantly thinking what's going to happen next. It's well acted, strong script. It can be quite dark in places as well. Please note, if you are about to watch it, if you've not watched it before, there are some cruelty animals you, it looks like in this film. I'm sure there wasn't basically trying to keep it as authentic as possible to to what the magicians did back in the day as well so i've watched this two or three times now and i knew what was going to happen but i didn't realize how early in the film it was going to be that obvious on part of the plot and i felt they did spell it out to those struggling to follow i think most would have known what's happening anyway but they did call it out really at the end so uh rob i know you've not watched it before and i'd be really interested to know what you thought of one of your favourite directors and and the film overall. Yeah, well, I mean, he never was necessarily, I'd say, I think it's only recently he's become like a director I've really liked. But he probably is number two for me, actually, to Ridley Scott. In fact, it's only recently I've seen a lot of his films. Obviously, I've seen the Dark Knight trilogy, and I love what he did with that. And Dunkirk, I had seen. But everyone always said, oh, you know, you've got to watch Inception... Memento, The Prestige, I'd seen Interstellar. So I was so pleased to see this on the list because I've been desperate to kind of watch it anyway. And I'd just seen Tenet and you know what I thought of Tenet. I thought it was just too smart for its own good for me personally. So I was curious to know what concept of magic and trickery, how that was going to play out in The Prestige. And I must admit, I really liked it. I really liked it because, you know, for me, the problem I found with Tenet was that 
I felt almost like 75% of it was an exercise in putting across a very technical trickery, really, to the audience. It's almost like, look how clever this is. Look what I'm trying to do here. And only a small percentage of the film, I thought, worked in terms of being able to invest in the characters and the story, which I think every film has to do first and foremost. Whereas this, for me, had both. It was more evenly matched. And I think because I like films that are challenging in some ways, I thought this worked really well. I think with a film like this, it was the first time I'd seen it. At the end, I was so intrigued. It's like, I think I've got most of this, but with all of Nolan's films, you then feel like you need to do a bit of research in case what you think is the ending or the point being made or whatever it is, it is correct as per the opinion of the masses because, of course, he always leaves ambiguity so you can potentially take multiple uh. thoughts from his films. I have to say, it's quite difficult to talk about this film, isn't it, really, in some ways, because if people haven't seen it, you can't discuss too much of no. really what, makes it good so I felt I kind of tripped myself up a little bit watching this because the character of Fallon because he was always a little bit in the shadows he's, he's like a stagehand who helps Alfred it really annoyed me as to like who is this guy because it's clearly being very ambiguous with how they mm. present him and so I quickly went on to IMDB to, to look who plays the character of Fallon. Wow. And then, of course, Fallon wasn't even listed. And then I, I thought, OK, fine, just carry on, just watch the film. And I carried on watching probably for another 10 minutes. And then it just really annoyed me. And I then went on Google, like, who plays Fallon? And, of course, that's how I initially found out that it was uh. um, Alfred's twin brother. And obviously then knowing that, it kind of made complete sense. You know, that was all relatively early on in the film, so I would have got there. But it's almost like I got there too early because it just annoyed me. It was actually, I found it really actually quite distracting. But I like the fact that the entire film is like a magic trick. That thing, I know that's exactly how it's intended mm. to be. The whole film is like, here's this thing that happens, everybody, which is this trick that Alfred does. The transporting man goes into one cupboard on the stage, comes out the other cupboard across the stage, and it's the same person. And when he performs this trick and jeers in the audience, it's just like, how the hell has he done that? And of course, Cutter says, well, it's, it's obvious. It must be a twin brother. And that's it. But the fact that Angiers is not willing to accept that because Angiers thinks he's seen something that says to him, it can't be his twin. The entire film, you know, goes on from there. And it's his obsession yeah. with wanting to do one better that leads him to this kind of inventor Tesla played by David Bowie and leads him to find this discovery of teleportation, which obviously he uses towards the end of the film as this one-upmanship. But knowing that Fallon is the twin brother, and then of course then obviously Alfred has the relationship with his wife Sarah and Sarah that is always constantly saying, you know, do you love me today and not tomorrow? You start to think, oh, okay, and then you realise that they've been swapping roles and all that stuff. Uh, but it's sad, isn't it? Then you find that quite sad when you don't today and she didn't work it out i thought it was sad that they did that well okay here's my take on that i initially thought he's not a nice guy alfred is not a nice guy because he is basically totally playing sarah and he's swapping roles with a twin brother she knows nothing about. That's a horrible thing to do. And he's doing all of that in the name of his career because being the best magician is that important to him. Mm. And then when you also suspect that he might be responsible for the death of Angier's wife, 
it's not certain, of course. Putting all of that together and, and the way he sabotages Angiers often on stage, yeah, he's just not a nice guy. And then equally, you know, the lengths that Angiers goes to as well to get one up on Alfred. Mm. Again, his obsession, I mean, this story is about obsession and sacrifice. Angiers sends his Olivia yeah. to basically go and spy on Alfred. You know, again, the way he uses people around him, it's all about himself. So in general, I don't think any of them were particularly likable. No. But, then, but then when you realise or when you think about it, you think, well, hang on, the guy who screwed up the knot is not Alfred, it's his twin brother. Then it takes a whole different turn for me because then it's like, well, that wasn't his fault. Angie's wife died and it wasn't Alfred's fault. It was his twin brother's fault. So from that point of view, you then think, well, hang on, Alfred then did nothing wrong. He didn't do the thing that triggered Angie's to go off on this completely obsessive journey that only takes mm. them all into one place. But you also saw a very soft side and kind side to him because he did love his wife, Alfred, and he loved his child as well. So you saw that side of him. And I was wondering throughout, I was thinking, who do I like more? Would I side with Angiers or would I side with Alfred and his, his, his brother? And who did I like more? And you don't like either of them, really, do you, at the end of the day? You don't. I was probably more on Alfred's side, actually. That's really interesting. Angier's side. And I think you. what I've been hearing from you, you sound like you're more on Angier's side. I think throughout most of the film, that's certainly the case. I think once you realise and you, and you start to understand Alfred's love for his son and you start to understand not everything that's occurred in the plot or that is necessary down to him, I'd say it's relatively even at the end because I think at the end of the day these two had a mutual respect for each other something happens that is not actually the fault of any of them which triggers this very obsessive vengeful Mm -hmm. journey that the film then goes off on whereas you know at the heart they're both good men Angiers was a loving husband to his wife which is why he's so devastated when she Mm -hmm. dies so you know, I love the fact that the film you could take the film in a very simplistic way this is what happened. Don't get obsessed with all of the possibilities. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get hoodwinked. And that's what I liked about it because that's what magic is. Like magic is about that. You know, you watch a magic trick. The whole point of it is a magician's distract you with stuff so you don't understand yep. how it's yep. done. And that's exactly how Nolan, how he produces and directs this film. And that, that's what I loved about it. But it wasn't too complex. It wasn't too smart. And that's, I think that's the key thing for me. And as I say, importantly, I really invested in the characters and the story. Yeah. I mean, also Scarlett Johansson, she was caught in the crossfire, but it really between the, the revenge and rivalness of, of both of them. And she was fell in love with Angiers and then she sent he sent her to go and spy on Alfred. And I thought, oh, so he didn't love her at all. He, he just wanted a, 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 like a weapon to find uh, more details about how he was performing his tricks. And so she and, and Alfred pulled a fast one on him. But... At the same time, I was thinking maybe it was all a plan. Maybe that's what he knew was going to happen and and things. So I I kind of wondered whether was Scarlett Johansson's character, was she always loyal to Angiers, actually? So there's lots of, you can read in a lot into this. And that is, you're right, I've never thought about it like that, that it's directed and scripted in a way that it is like a magic trick. Because you can watch a a magic performance and it's like, yep, okay, they, they fooled me. I have no idea how they did that and I'll walk away way or you can just kind of like maybe put it down his sleeve or something like that and so there are 
there are still question marks that I have as well with this film was you know there's some conspiracy theories I know that and I don't I don't think we would go into all of them but I think you can read a lot into it as well so and that's why it can be seen as complex and it can be seen in a simple form and uh, yeah I liked it I, I think it was very clever actually cleverly yeah. scripted but they make no bones about it's very clear like there's a voiceover at the beginning by Cutter where he talks about the three acts of a magic trick mm. the final one being the prestige and I think it's worth noting off the back of what you've just said even though when we're discussing this we talk about Alfred having a twin brother and that's how he manages to execute his trick on which his whole career is based that is seeded relatively early in the film or maybe at least halfway through so we're not giving anything away i think by mentioning that at all because we we aren't talking about the prestige of the fine the very (laughs) final part again you know talking about the magic trick the prestige of the film which is angie's magic act that he's been striving for all his life because obviously that that's what the entire film rests on it's a very very first a very very intriguing but i mean you ask if i knew why it was that david bowie took the role of tesla yeah i mean all i know from reading about it it was that christopher nolan was clear he wanted bowie from the start i so i don't know what reason that would be and yeah so i really i really liked it but it's funny i have gone on to watch inception because i mean i know everyone's been like oh my god yeah, i'm watching inception i've been so conscious that i need to watch that film and it's a little bit like Inception, probably more so with Inception, maybe, is that at the end, having watched it, you, you then feel obliged to maybe go and find out a bit more. And I think mm. it's when you start to find out a bit more, you have those discussions with people about what they think. The film almost becomes better. It kind of takes it to another level. So I, I, the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more I like it. Yeah. Inception is a strange one for me. I, well, I've watched it once before. I didn't connect with it very well. I, I think you have to concentrate, <laughs> and I probably wasn't at the time when I was watching it, and I kind of got a bit lost, I think. My husband loves the film, but for me, I didn't enjoy it, and it, I felt it was a bit long, whereas this one, I think I could relax and watch it. It was smart, it was clever, but not too clever that you get lost, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, but I mean, one thing I didn't mention is this film got nominated for two Oscars, one for cinematography and art direction. I'm surprised actually didn't get like set design or costume design because there was certainly some great costumes in this and very in the 1800s era of course as well the film lost out for cinematography to pan's labyrinth which we've reviewed before and there was really strong movies that year there was the queen the last king of scotland little miss sunshine dream girls and the departed um, released at the same time so really interesting but rob tell me what you're going to give it what you're going to give this film i think i'm going to give it eight and a half it might well be I watch it again and, and it gets better still. But still, I really, really liked it, eight and a half. Also, what I really liked about the film, and I think this is kind of one of the results of doing the podcast, which I really, really like, is when you start to see actors in more than one film. So it was only a couple of weeks ago that we were seeing Christian Bale yeah. as a boy in Empire of the Sun. And I think it's quite nice that two weeks later you're watching a film. Yeah, you can start to refer back to performances and stuff. So yeah, eight, eight and a half for me. And I will now be going off to watch one of his other earlier films, Memento. 
Ah, yeah, very good film as well. Yeah, I'm going to give it nine out of ten. I think this this film for some time has been one of my favourites. Where I disliked it is really how they had to call it out. Like, come on, person, get with the programme. This is what's been happening. And it's like a reminder, a recap of what has happened. But maybe it's because I, this time around, I, you know, I knew what was coming and loosely knew what was coming. I forgot, I didn't remember the whole film because I watched it so long ago. But I did realise there is a, in a really early scene when you go, oh, yeah, that's, I remember now. So if you go back and watch it, Rob, or anyone else that's watching it for the second time, you, you might twig earlier on what's about to happen. If you like films that do something different uh, and challenge you and play with your mind a bit, he's the master of that. I mean, he's the master of the modern day blockbusters, as we've now seen with the bigger films, but definitely watch it. You have to watch this. You have to watch this film. And one thing I found, I bet they had, I bet Jonathan and and Christopher Nolan had great fun doing the direction for, or the script writing for the two brothers. I wonder if they say, well, I would do this. No, I would do that. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because they're brothers themselves. So, so yeah, it would have been quite fun being a, a fly on the wall when they were developing this script. I would be very interested to see what he's doing next because I feel like Tenet is like Inception on steroids with what he's doing with the whole concept of time. I feel like he needs to take a little a step down from that kind of stuff, maybe more along the lines of a Prestige or a Dunkirk or something that doesn't challenge you maybe quite as much as some of his films do. Mm. Cool. So we've added guilty pleasure into the hat, haven't we, after last week's podcast? So, we have, and we've added back in action as well, because that was a carryover from last time as well. I'm going to go first. Go, go, go. Action. Action, right, okay. Do we really, do we really want another action? Yeah, film? no, it's fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So I have 34. 34 actions. I'm going to go for number four. Number four. And that is Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park? <laughs> 1993. So it's got Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Attenborough, of course, as well. And, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg. So here's yeah. the blurb. A pragmatic paleontologist visiting an almost complete theme park is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causes the park's cloned dinosaurs to run loose. I mean... It's another one of those ones that I'm sure many people have seen. It is a classic, and that's why I sat down and watched it not too long ago with my son. So this is actually relatively fresh in the memory. So, But mm. it's, it's a belter, absolute belter. It is, it is, it's a good one. It's streaming on Netflix and Amazon Prime at the moment, and you can rent and buy through other online channels as well. Good stuff. Right. Your turn. Right, so let's go for animation. I have eight on the list. I'm going to go for number two, please. It is Big Hero 6. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Big Hero 6. I'm, I'm, I'm probably due to watch that one, to be honest. I haven't seen that for a while. Just a lovely film, isn't it? So this... Yeah. Here's the blurb. The special bond develops between plus-size inflatable robot Baymax and prodigy hero Hamada. They team up with a group of friends to form a band of high-tech heroes. I remember this really pulling on the heartstrings many a time. 
Yeah, I mean, we had Frozen with the sisters, and I think this was to fill the gap for the brothers, I think, uh, very much so. So it's streaming on Now TV, Disney Plus, and Sky Go. You can rent and buy off all other online channels. Now, do you have Disney Plus? I do. That's Mulan. interesting. Mulan, yeah, Mulan. exactly. So this was, this was a big release that obviously was planned for the cinemas, but but even though tenants been back in they this is going straight to disney plus isn't it so yeah um, so i want to watch ava as well which i think is on sky or amazon prime you can buy but yeah i'm, I'm it's about i think it's about 18 or 19 pounds watch mulan and i thought wow that's expensive but then i thought hang on a minute it's instead of going to the cinema and you watch it as a family or you can watch it individually as well and obviously you would pay a little bit more obviously for a family to watch a lot more in fact <laughs> and with ava you're referring to the jessica chastain yeah and what's, inter- much- what's going to be interesting about this one then i mean uh, certainly from my point of view when we when we reviewed molly's game i remember saying like she's such a great actress that it'd be mm. great to see you know, what she goes on to do. And having done Empire of the Sun only a couple of weeks ago, and I was actually starting to kind of look to see what John Malkovich has been up to, he's in this film as well. Yeah, so it's a 15. Ava is a deadly assassin. I like female deadly assassins. Got hardcore. She's very good. Have you seen it? I haven't, but like Jessica Chastain and Charlize Theron seem to have basically yeah. cornered this yes. this market, haven't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Deadly female well, Angeline, Yeah, and Angelina Jolie, she was in Salt, wasn't she? And she That's was right. Quite good in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remind me what we've got. In the meantime, we've got Jurassic Park and, and Big Hero Six. Big, Big Hero Six. There we go. Going to be a good one. Going to be another good week. Cool. Well, thanks a lot it's again, a, Sarah. Yeah, good. It's a family week. It is another. It's a family, it's a, it is family definitely family. a family week. Absolutely right. Have a fantastic week. And you, Rob. And we will be putting some more movie connections, won't we, onto With, the yeah. onto the Facebook. Yes, and I'll come more prepared for next time. that's all right well i mean i think we could already predict who's going to basically make the connections already it's just a question of like uh, how far ahead of the game he is yeah i mean it's just gonna we should just end up calling it beat chris yeah we should i'll tell you what we should put that on there i think we should this time yeah in fact if we put beat chris i bet there'll be more incentive by some people to actually try and uh, try and guess some i think can I do one shout out before we leave? Yeah, of course you can. I learnt we have quite a big fan. Um, I learnt that one of our fans, I wouldn't say she was a fan maybe, but she she enjoys listening to our podcast and she has followed every single film, watched every single film along no. with us. Yes, that is Jenny Drummond. She is fantastic. Yeah, so thank awesome. you, Jenny, for listening to, to all our podcasts and, and watching along as well. Oh, that's awesome. I did see her call out a lot of memorable lines from Pretty Woman. I, I get the impression Jenny can recite quotes from more films than we can, certainly. Yeah, she's challenged me. She'd asked me in a separate message, you know, can you can you re- recite some some scripts? And I'm like going, mm, I know, no, probably not. Like, probably stand by me. I can probably quote a few lines. Maybe like yes. maybe we she could organise like a quote off a quote off with you. <laughs> She could do. I wouldn't. You wouldn't, don't ask me to do any on Gladiator. Let's just say that. Oh, I know the film with the film with no memorable lines in. <laughs> Braveheart would be fine. Freedom. <laughs> anyway. And on that bombshell. Yeah. 
Take cool. care. Cheers, Rob. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.